Good morning. My name is Annalise. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 55, 12 through 13. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Kay. The New Testament reading is found in Acts 16, 9 through 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is David. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 20, 21, and 22. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, the gospel of the Lord. Amen. Would you remain standing as we pray? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your presence among us. We thank you for the joy of the Lord that is filling our hearts and filling this place. And Lord, as we open up the scriptures this morning, we open up our hearts to you. We want to place ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar. And we say, come Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes to see you. Come and open our ears to hear you. Come and open our minds to understand. Come and open our hearts to surrender to you. Change us, we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. We can bring the lights all the way up here. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you and your fans on this warm summer day. It reminds me of a moment when I was uh, growing up in Malaysia. I was eight years old, and we went away for these kids' camps. And, uh, you know, to escape some of the heat, and it's hot all year round, you would go up to the highlands, and the highlands weren't that much higher than the normal, the lowlands, if you will, but it was just a little bit cooler, and so a lot of the retreats and camp places were on uh, these highlands, and our church would go every every year, I want to say every summer, but there's no seasons really, because it's the tropics, but we'd go during the school break, and we'd go away for these kids' camps, and and frequently there was this American missionary named Jeanette who would come and speak to our, to our kids uh, uh, at the kids' camp. And she was a missionary called particularly to children's ministry and an amazing godly woman. And I remember I was about eight years old and she had this way of bringing a hush to the room. And you can imagine a room of a hundred or so squirrely elementary age kids. And, she, and we're sitting on these rotan mats on the floor and there's ceiling fans and people are hot and they're a little, it's a little bit muggy. And she would just go, shh. And they would do exactly what you just did. <laughs> 
And then she'd captivate us with stories from the scripture. And one of the stories I remember her telling was about a missionary named David Livingston. And she talked about David, David Livingston going to Africa and following the call of God. And she talked about this desire in his heart to see the name of Jesus lifted up about, above every other name. And I, that captured my imagination as a young boy. And there was this altar call. You know, some of you have been in church long enough to know what an altar call is, right? Like, come on, if the Lord's speaking to you, come to the front. We do that at New Life Downtown every week. We just call it communion. You know, we just change the names. But everybody's responding to the altar call. But she said, if you feel like the Lord's tugging on your heart to, to say yes to him, to serve him with your life, maybe even to be a missionary, come forward. And so I came forward and I was eight years old and I'm kneeling in the front and I'm sobbing. I'm crying like ugly tears and now I'm sweating and crying and it's just a mess. And I grew up from there loving to read. I loved reading stories of missionaries. My parents gave me at 10 years old the story of the autobiography of George Mueller who ran the orphanages in Bristol in England. And then I'd read about Hudson Taylor and I kept reading about missionaries and missionaries and missions movements. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to be, maybe, maybe God is calling me to be a missionary someday. I didn't realize until older, later in life that I had kind of relied on or adopted subconsciously a really narrow definition of a missionary. And I thought these were sort of the Navy seals of the kingdom. These are the people that like go to hardcore places and later, you know, I was thinking as Lawrence was saying, he's a missionary from the Netherlands. I'm a missionary from Malaysia to the U.S., you know. <laughs> um, but I realized that the truth is every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is called to join in the mission of God. And last week, last week we talked about the calling and the cross. We talked about how the first place to start with our own calling and discerning our own calling is not to say, God, what am I about or what's my life about, but to say, God, what are you up to in the world? And so last week we talked about God being a missionary God and the mission of God culminates in the ministry of Jesus. The mission of God culminates in the ministry of Jesus and continues through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. That could be our summary of last week. The mission of God culminates in the ministry of Jesus and continues through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we just heard the gospel reading today that my dad read where Jesus says in John 20, as the father has sent me, peace be with you, he says, and as the father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful thing to make that parallel to Jesus to say, as the father sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, yes, the mission of God culminated in Jesus, but it doesn't terminate with Jesus. It continues through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. It culminated in Jesus, but it didn't terminate with Jesus. Otherwise, we're all just hanging around here waiting to go away to some other place in the sky. And I, I worry that sometimes that's what we kind of think. We think, well, you know, I mean, God did his thing. Jesus came and now one day we'll go to heaven. So let's just try to take as many people with us. But other than that, I mean, let's just enjoy it. Right. But the reason we gather and the reason we worship and the reason we connect with one another and the reason we encourage one another is because we're trying to say, pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. How is the mission of God continuing in you? And Jesus said, after he said, as the father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's significant to me because it says to me that God's purpose always comes with God's power 
and God's presence. God's purpose always comes with God's power and God's presence. Jesus doesn't leave us with a mission in the world and say, good luck. In fact, he had said to his disciples, it's better for you that I go. Because if I go, when I go, then the spirit will be given to you and the spirit will walk alongside you. God's purpose always comes with God's power and God's presence. And so this morning, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as the sending spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sending spirit. It's the spirit who sends us out into mission in the world. Look what happens when the early church received the spirit. Luke, by the way, talks about the Holy Spirit, not as a force, but as a divine person. This is why if you're reading through the book of Acts, you see one of the early stories is Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit and then being struck down. Why? Because the spirit is not a force in the universe. The spirit is the sovereign Lord. And we're meant to see in the book of Acts that this is not some the, the Holy Spirit is not an experience. The Holy Spirit is not goosebumps. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not an encounter. The Holy Spirit is the divine person, the third person of the Trinity. And so right away in the book of Acts, Luke doesn't want us to get confused. We, we see this moment where the Spirit falls and they start speaking in tongues. You're like, oh, maybe the Spirit is an experience. And Luke's saying, well, let me tell you more about the Spirit. The Spirit is a divine person that if you lie against, lie to the Spirit, it's like lying to the Lord. It is lying to the Lord. And so when I say the mission of God continues through the church by the power of the spirit, it's not really just a power. It's a person who's walking with us. The Holy Spirit is God with us. And I want us to see just three things this morning uh, from the book of Acts. And then I'll share uh, what's happening in our lives here at the end. I know you're like, come on, when are you going to get to it? Just hang on a minute. The scriptures first. Three things from the book of Acts about how the Holy Spirit sends us into the world. The first is this. The Spirit leads us to divine appointments. The Spirit leads us in divine appointments. We see in Acts chapter 8, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I love that. Just go over and stay near it. Here we see the Holy Spirit leading Philip to a divine appointment. Now, I don't know how you are when you're, uh, you know, going about your day or maybe you commute for work and you fly. But when I'm at airports, I mean, Jim, maybe you're this way. When I'm at airports and airplanes, like I can't get my headphones in quick enough. You know, like I don't I don't want to. I'm not a small talk person. It's like, OK. And in some ways, like travel through covid has been helpful because nobody wants to talk to anybody. You know, <laughs> just get your mask on. And if you kind of go, <clears throat> people are like, oh, you know. I'm like, that's the way I like it. Thank you. <laughs> but once in a while, I'm not so dull to the spirit. <laughs> once in a while, there's something that says, stop or slow down or look over. One day I was coming out of the gym, which oh, it's very obvious. I go there a lot. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I was coming out, you know, after my really brief workout. And, and there's this woman who's walking in and she was in tears and 
And uh, I, I, I was, you know, head down, walking to my car, and I look up, and I see a, a little bit of a, a rec- look of recognition in her eyes when she looked at me. And I know that we've lived in Colorado Springs for 22 years, so I felt this prompting not to do one of these to go, and then walk. But I felt this prompting just to stop. So I said, hi. And she goes, are you one of the pastors at New Life? I said, yeah. She goes, and she just burst into tears. And she went on to tell me about how she, had, she and her husband were expecting a child, and, but there were some worries and some concerns, and they were going to go in to see the doctor, and they didn't know if this pregnancy was going to make it. And she said, I, I still don't. I think we're, I think we're, going to, we're heading towards a miscarriage. And I said, well, can I just pray for you right here? And I stopped and prayed over her and didn't know what happened. Months go by, more months go by. I'm preaching at New Life North one Sunday morning. And she and her husband, I see this woman and this man coming up and they have this baby with them. They're like, hi, I'm like, hi, how are you? Thanks for the sermon tonight. It's great. And like, you may not remember us. She goes, but I met you outside Lifetime that day. (laughs) And I was in need of someone just to encourage me. You prayed with me. We went to the doctors. Everything turned out. It was going to be okay. He said, we wanted you to see our little guy in front of us. It's one of those moments where sometimes you get to see the result of it. Other times you don't. But how, how alert might we be for the Holy Spirit to arrange some divine moments? They may not be as dramatic as Philip's where he's transported. They might be the small little encouragements, the, the little words of kindness to the person serving us at restaurants or coffee shops. It might be the moment that we stop to ask a further question that we might not have stopped to ask. And who knows what it might lead to. Secondly, as the book of Acts goes on, we also see that the Spirit compels us beyond human boundaries. That there are man-made boundaries. Now, I'm not talking about divine boundaries. I'm not talking about where God draws the line between those who are, have repented and are in the community of faith and those who have not. I'm not talking about God-drawn lines of demarcation. I'm talking about human boundaries. And there's something about us humans that we keep finding reasons to draw lines around other people. And we keep finding reasons to draw circles and to say, well, this is, this is me and that is you. And well, I grew up this way and you grew up that way. And this is what I think. But the Holy Spirit is always going to push us beyond human boundaries. Acts chapter 10, a few chapters later, it says, while Peter was brooding over this vision, he has this vision of animals coming down on a sheet. It's quite a vision The spirit interrupted him and said, look, three people are looking for you. Go downstairs. Don't ask questions and just go with them because I have sent them. I mean, that is an incredible instruction from the Holy Spirit. I mean, Peter's already spinning because he's seen the stream about unclean animals. And Jesus is like, go take, you know, rise and eat. And he's like, I don't think I'm supposed to eat that. And he's like, don't call anything unclean. He's still like spinning from the don't call anything unclean. And then Jesus is like, I'm not really just talking about food. There's some people here to meet you. Go with them. Don't ask questions. Wow. He goes with them. It's Cornelius, this devout Gentile, God-fearing Gentiles. And Peter's talking to them. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, I'm sure Peter had a good sermon prepped. I'm sure Peter's like, okay, okay, look, I didn't really want to be here, but Jesus said I had to be here. But I've got this one sermon that I use. It's still kind of fresh in my mind. I'll just, you know, start sharing it. And while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now we understand that in the book of Acts, this is the story of the followers of Jesus recognizing the full explosive implications of the good news, that it was meant to be a movement that went beyond Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We're meant to sort of see the story as the story of the gospel expanding. But we'd make a mistake if we only treated the book of Acts like it's narrative history. We'd make a mistake if we only treated the book of Acts as, oh, that's the story of the early church. The reason it's in our Bibles is because it's meant to be the story of the church. It's not meant to be like, isn't that, that's just amazing. We're supposed to say, and God, how are you doing that today? And God, how are you pushing us, compelling us beyond human boundaries today? God, who are the people that I don't think need to have or could not possibly there. And we do this all the time with churches. That's a dead church. That's a living church. This, these people have the spirit. Those people don't have the spirit. And then the Holy Spirit's like, watch this. Like the usher meme, you know, watch this. If you know, you know. In February, I was in England and, um, got to be part of some really unique environments. Um, the beginning of the trip, I was up in the northeast of England at Durham, where this, this, the Durham Cathedral Cross is what's embroidered right here on the communion table, thanks to the Becks and their meal group. And I wear the cross on the Durham Cross on my necklace. And, and I was giving some academic lectures in Durham. And, you know, maybe we might think, well, you know, academic universities with religion departments, probably like super liberal, like these people don't love God. (laughs) I spent a few days up there having some of the most engaging conversations with people. Um, One of my last days there, one of my friends who also teaches up there. So let's go for a walk. And as we're walking, he's praying over me, telling me some stuff that he senses from the Lord because the Holy Spirit doesn't operate in the same barriers and boundaries that we have. Well, that's not, that's just the academy. Is it though? What if the Holy Spirit's in the academy? And then later on, I went down to, um, uh, Cambridge and, and was giving a a talk, a lunch talk to a small group of college students from Cambridge university. And, and then that night went to give a, a homily at this, one of the churches, one of the chapels of one of the colleges at Cambridge. It was a, a remarkable experience. And, and I'm wearing my full like Anglican collar, trying to make it a little bit hipster, you know, skinny jeans. But I'm looking around, I'm thinking, this is so bizarre. Like the, the dean of the college is there and like full like Jedi robes, you know. <laughs> I thought Professor Snape was going to come out at any moment. And I'm sitting in the choir stalls after they're singing, you know, their, their beautiful choral even song. And then I give this homily and this is strange. And then I realized, oh, these students in the choir, maybe they need to hear this word, Holy Spirit, come and move even here. And the Holy Spirit fell upon people. Later after that, I went to a group of pastors 
who were, half of them was the Church of England, half of them from other denominations. And we gather in this auditorium, there's a couple thousand pastors and I had no idea what to expect. And all of a sudden worship starts going on and this thing erupts and people are prophesying and praying in tongues and I'm getting blessed and people are coming over and praying over me and giving me words. And I'm like, this is blowing all of my categories right now. I think sometimes over here in the West that we don't realize how much division is a luxury of a church in power. Division is a luxury of a church in power. And when you feel like Christianity has some measure of cultural influence, then you can be choosy and you can say, well, well, us, but not them. And I like this tribe, but I don't like that tribe. And what's the deal? That, that, that's too academic or that's too, uh, you, you know, that's too liturgical or that's too this and that's too that. And over the years, I've heard it all. Well, Glenn's just kind of a worship guy. Oh, well, Glenn's, he's just become an academic now. Oh, well, he's just an Anglican dude right now. Oh, well, he's, you know. And I just want to say that every once in a while, we peek out of our little holes and we recognize that it's a big kingdom and the Holy Spirit is always pushing us to cross boundaries that humans have made. And it's good for us to know what's happening in the church around the world. And it's good for us to see this. I remember being in an Alpha conference in London seven or eight years ago and listening to Nikki Gumbel, who created the Alpha course, talking about, at the time, this was when ISIS was executing Christians in the Middle East, and he said, ISIS isn't asking people before they execute them, now which denomination are you? Now, are are you Protestant or Catholic or that Orthodox thing? Now, Now, where do you stand on predestination? Now, are you pro-tongues or are you like cessationists? Are you gifts of the Spirit? Now, when, what do you believe about the end times? Which version of the Bible do you read? What kind of music do you like? Are you contemporary worship or like classic hymns? Because we're... You, it's only com- comedic to keep us from recognizing the tragedy of it. Because when the enemy comes against the church, it's just anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord becomes the target. And that's why I say division is a luxury of a church in power. Division is a luxury of a church in power. But when we recognize that we're finding ourselves more and more on the edges, maybe it's time for us to recognize how the Holy Spirit is always leading us to boundary crossing work. And our temptation, our temptation is, oh, well, maybe we just need to reclaim power, Glenn. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe never be like the churches that we prayed for this morning in Europe. We just need in America to make sure that the church always stays in power. And that's one approach. The other approach is to say, well, let's just retreat in our tribes and let's just have it be us. And we are the, you, you know, the great, it's like that cartoon. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And this guy's got this great like graph of trees and it's uh, uh, like a family tree sort of system. And it's super complex and all these lines. And he says, this is church history. And he goes, and right here, this tiny dot, that is where our church tradition came along. And we finally got it right. <laughs> Instead of saying, what if the Holy Spirit is leading us to cross context. Last week we said that your calling can operate in multiple different contexts. What might that look like for you? How can the call of God in your life come alive in different contexts so that you don't say, well, this is, well, I do this at church or I do this with my small group. What if at work you were listening to the spirit too? 
What if in your neighborhood you were listening to the Spirit too? What, what if there's boundary crossing work and we don't draw these lines and walls and say, mm, here but not there, or us but not them? Look for ways. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, there's so much more we could say, but it's certainly true that as the sending Spirit, the Holy Spirit opens doors and closes doors. He's directing the mission. Acts 13, verse 50, it says, However, the Jews provoked the prominent women among the Gentile God worshipers as well as the city's leaders, and they instigated others to harass Paul and Barnabas and threw them out of their district. And Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet and went to Iconium. Because of the abundant presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the disciples were overflowing with happiness. It's amazing to me. Like, they just got, like, rejected. But you don't see Paul and Barnabas playing the victim card. Being like, well, you know, those people that never wanted our, our ministry. So sad. They don't know what they're missing out on. Paul Barmas is like, it's okay. We're going over here now. And then we rejoice. And the Spirit fills them with happiness. Acts 16, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit kept them from speaking the word in the province of Asia. I, I mean, Luke drops these little one lines. I'm like, I'm like can, can we just say a bit more about that? Like how, how did the Holy Spirit prevent you? Like, what, what do you mean? He kept you from speaking the word. Verse seven, when they approached the province of Mysia, they tried to enter the province of Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. Like how? I don't know how. But when you're paying attention to the Holy Spirit, there are ways that you know, you know what? I think the Lord is actually saying, uh-uh. That this isn't, this isn't a human thing. Can I just say something for a moment? We've learned a lot about giving voice to genuine victims, people who've genuinely experienced hurt and pain. But there's a danger in the rest of us sort of adopting a posture of victimhood, where anytime something doesn't work out, it's always like, this person is the worst. And this leader is the worst. And this thing is the worst. And this is... And I want to, as spirit-filled people, what if you trust that the Holy Spirit is the sovereign Lord in all of it? And if doors close, you say, I think the spirit of Jesus is preventing this. So you never adopt the orphan spirit, the wounded spirit, the victim spirit of like, well don't see that in the book of Acts because they're filled with the spirit and they're saying, Jesus is directing our mission. Jesus is guiding our steps. My faith is not in the hands of any human being. My destiny is not, is not in the power of another person. In fact, a person is not that powerful, but the Holy spirit can open doors and close doors. And then it says, Verse 8, passing by Mycenae, they went to Troas instead, and a vision of a man from Macedonia came to Paul during the night, and he stood over Paul. He stood urging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. And immediately after he saw the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia. I have such respect for Paul's obedience. Immediately. Okay. Concluding that God had called them, called us to proclaim the good news to them. The Spirit leads us to divine appointments. The Spirit 
pushes us, compels us to cross human boundaries. The spirit closes doors and opens doors. My hope for all of us is that we would be people surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That we'd never put our lives on autopilot, even if the specifics of your life don't change. It doesn't mean we live chaotic lives and every decision is always up for revision all the time. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that every day is surrendered to the sovereign Lord, the spirit of the sovereign Lord. It does mean that every day is sort of said, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Send me today into my day. Even if it means dishes and diapers, send me to it. <laughs> Sometimes we, 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 we say this expression like, oh, I, I'm just so spent. And usually what we mean is I'm, I'm drained. <laughs> like life just leaked out of me. But spent, if we really meant it, is a great way to think of it. Because whom the Lord sends, he spends. And that would be a better way to say it. Because it's like Jesus saying, no one takes my life, I lay it down. And it's like Paul and Barnabas saying, no one's rejecting us. Jesus is leading us. The Spirit is leading us. They're, they're, I'm being sent and we're being spent. It's the Spirit who sends. So now we come to it. Holly and I have been married this August will be 21 years. I came to, yeah, that's great. Uh, we, I, I came to New Life first in the summer of 2000, came as a worship intern and um, helped, uh, kind of understudied, shadowed the worship pastor at the time, Ross Parsley. That turned into a full-time staff position, which was good because then I could uh, propose to my girlfriend, Holly. <laughs> And we began working on staff together after our marriage. And you know the story. Our heart has been here at New Life for all of these 22 years. And part of the blessing of being part of a church like New Life is once in a while, the Lord places us in positions where we can influence and shape and maybe even speak to or fellowship with other churches and networks and ministries. And over the years, there's been different occasions where maybe someone has said, oh, so-and-so, you, you, would you like to come and, and join us? Or so-and-so, would you consider serving our church as this, uh, you know, in this capacity? And, and we've certainly been recipients of that over the years. In fact, uh, six years ago or so, there was a, someone from a, a, a search agency who said, hey, you would be a great person for this church. Would you consider this? And I said, you go to our church. Like, I don't want you sitting here trying to recruit me. I love this brother. And we, and we, we joyfully, we had a good laugh about it. And I said, how about you never talk to me about other opportunities ever again, because my heart is here. And that's the way we've lived. We've never lived looking at where could we go next? What ladder can we climb? What, what sort of extra thing could we step into? So we've shut down things and declined things. And, and then there are moments where the Lord kind of says, hang on, look again. Like we said last week with Moses and the bush that was burned. Look again. March of last year, a friend of mine named Todd Proctor called me. And I'd known Todd because he works for Alpha USA. And actually the trip that I described to London seven, or seven years ago or so was with Todd. It was at the invitation of Todd and was, was with a group of pastors from the U.S. And so Todd called me last March and he said, hey, there's a church that I led for many years. Todd led, led a church in Costa Mesa, California called Rock Harbor for many years. 
And, and he said there at this moment now of transition, he had stepped out a few years prior to that. And he said, I wonder if you would consider, you know, maybe entering a process with, with the church. And I said, Todd, that, that, that's an honor. I've heard, I know great things about this church, amazing people. Um, but I, I, I really, I feel like our hearts are here. And, and so we let it sit. And that was March of last year. And then in late August, for both Holly and I, we went away on a little uh, retreat mid-August. And we began to sense the Holy Spirit just stirring the waters a little bit. In hindsight, it was like shaking the tree to loosen the roots a little bit. And we both said, maybe the Lord wants us to just put the question on the table. Now, you know, if you've ever done something like this, that's one of the most dangerous things you can do. Because it's much easier to say, Lord, I'm just going to follow the last thing you said. It's much scarier when you say, oh, you want me to put it all on the table? Okay. And so we did. And there were a couple of ways that it just became obvious that he was trying to get our attention. Had some great conversations with Pastor Brady where some honest conversations about our season of life and what he saw in us. And along that same, at that same time, there's a parallel track here. And this is often how God works because we're not sovereign. We see one storyline. God is sovereign. He sees multiple storylines. And along that same time, we began to recognize there's another storyline here. It's a storyline of what's happening with Jason and Sarah Jackson. You guys know what amazing people they are. And how incredible. I, I, we've known Jason and Sarah for 25 years. Jason was in our wedding. And when they came here, it was always this thought of, I think maybe at some point the, this is what the Lord's going to have for you. And last year, we, this, that discernment really began to come to a forefront of conversations about timing and how. And, and it started to become obvious. Jason had been leading our staff at New Life Downtown for the, the past two years at that point already. And it was thriving and flourishing. And so we began to wonder, maybe this is what the spirit is up to. In September, I reached back out to Todd and I said, hey, well, how are things going at the search here? And he said, you know, it's good. They actually have a person. I think it's pretty close to, to, to being all finalized. And I thought, oh, well, the Holy Spirit closed the door. There you go. And so we said, OK, well, we'll just keep waiting. We'll just keep being surrendered. And we don't we want to move slowly and the best pastoral wisdom I could share with you is when you're walking through a season that feels foggy, walk slowly. Don't walk quickly through a fog. Don't make quick decisions. St. Ignatius said, don't make life-changing decisions when you're experiencing desolations or disorientations. If you're going through a fog, go slow. And so we just, we said, okay. okay. And then he said, but you know what? Why don't you come out and, and, and preach at, at, at Rock Harbor in the middle of November? And I said, great, we'll just schedule a Sunday to come out there. Two weeks before we were scheduled to come out there, he called me back and he says, you'll never believe this, but the person that he thought they were narrowing in on uh, just had a check and said, this isn't a check in their heart and said, this is not what the Lord is leading us to. And it, it, all, it almost felt like it was going back to square one for them. And he said, when you come out in the middle of November, would you just, would you just have your antennas up, I think was the phrase he said. You know. And I said that very dangerous word again. Yes. And when I went out there in the middle of November, I was struck by what I felt. I felt a, a quick connection with so many from their staff and their team and one or two of the elders that I spent time with felt that the Holy Spirit was about to do something in this church that rebuild and bring renewal. And 
And I felt a burden rise in me, but I didn't want to say anything too quickly. And I came home and was talking to Holly about it. And we were just sat with that and prayed. And about six weeks later, both of us individually were like, we're just, as I've been praying in our devotional times, the Lord keeps bringing this church back. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> Keep thinking about it. It feels like the Holy Spirit's trying to say, Hoo-hoo-hoo, over here. And we were like, la, 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 no, no. And so, again, consulting a little bit with Pastor Brady and some of our friends, we decided briefly to kind of enter the process in January, and something about the timing didn't feel right, and we were still in a bit of a swirl, so again, go slow, we withdrew briefly. I told you about the trip to England in February, I told you about the sermon at Cambridge, what I didn't tell you was that sermon was on my birthday while I was there, and they assigned me a text. And the two texts that they assigned me back in January were two passages that the Lord had been using to speak to me about this calling. One was Exodus 3, the burning bush, and the other was the Garden of Gethsemane, as told in John 12. And so there I am standing on this trip in the UK, preaching on my birthday about the calling and the cross from Exodus 3 and John 12, the very sermon I delivered to you last week, recognizing that this is not for them, this is for me. Every calling comes with a cross, and I'm like, oh, God, no, but not mine, right? I came back from that trip, and I said to Holly, I said, I think the Lord is saying this is, it's time. It's time, and then we began to get more intentional with our discernment, invited in some of the elders at New Life, invited in close friends, pastors around the country, Pete Gregg, my friend Aaron Stern, longtime friend, Rich Velotis, close friends who both knew this place and who were removed from it. Our family began to pray. We let our kids into it. One of the big pieces of this was Sophia. Sophia had a year left of high school, and we didn't know if we should move with her uh, during that or how to handle that. And the Holy Spirit began directing the paths and began making these on her own. She said, I think I'm ready to take the step and go off to college. I burst into tears. I was like, well, you're ready, but I'm not ready. She's headed off to college. And I said, don't do this because of us. She's like, I'm not. I have my own storyline to follow. The spirit of the sovereign Lord sees all the storylines. And so we encouraged that and championed that. We went out there as a whole family at the end of May because I know different people process this differently. But for the Pachyums, we believe that the Lord isn't calling one person. The Lord's calling our family. And so we wanted our family to go out there and we checked in with the kids. How are you feeling? Green light, yellow light, red light. End of May and everybody said, yes, this is it. And so we formally entered the process again and went through that. And at the end of June, after the rounds of interviews, I said yes to the call of the Lord to go and serve as the lead pastor of this church, Rock Harbor and Costa Mesa. And there's a swirl of emotions. I'm standing up here saying these words to you, but I feel like I'm like watching myself say these words. Because it's, it's words I never thought I'd say. It's decisions that I never thought we'd do, but the Lord has a way. And I want you to know with all my heart, there's nothing in us that views this as some sort of step up. We're trying to obey a step out. It's not... We, 
we're not chasing ambition. We're trying to obey a mission of a missionary God. And so this morning, as we, as we close, and there's going to be time. I'm not leaving yet. I, I have a couple more Sundays with you. Last sermon will be August 7th. That'll be the final charge. I'm not giving you a final charge today. And that'll be when I tell you how much I believe in Jason and Sarah. And we got time to say all of those words. Today, I just want to say, our prayer is that this is not just about our story or even Rock Harbor's story or even New Life Downtown's story or Jason and Sarah's story. I pray it's actually about your story too. That maybe the Holy Spirit is waking all of us up to say, God, the sending spirit. Again, not that decisions change, but that your perspective changes. You enter into your day and your life with a different view in mind of saying, come on, Lord, send us. Isaiah 55, we heard it this morning. We go out with joy and we're led forth with peace. The mark of the Holy Spirit's work. Would you stand with me? Well, I got through that without crying, so that's good. We'll see what happens on August 7th. (laughs) Oh, you guys. I love you. Uh, loved being your pastor. I believe that part of how what happens when sendings happen is that the kingdom actually multiplies and relational ties that were kind of undiscovered become solidified and crystallized. And so I pray for that even in this. But today, as we come to the table, we come to the Lord's table. We come rehearsing in our hearts the goodness of God. So all over the room, if you would, I know it's hot and we got to wrap this up. Would you just open up your hands? And let's just sing this chorus here. All my life you have been faithful.